This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. Man, if it's Monday, that means we got multiple freaking podcasts in your feed. We do eight shows a week. We recap all of Sunday night's action for Monday morning. That's up first thing because Debo, our uh, our un- underappreciated producer, never sleeps. And then we hop on the phone with Jason LaCanfora and Jared Dubin, and we preview Monday Night Football and talk about you know, other sort of things, ramifications spilling out of the week. That's this show right now. We will also have a Monday night recap show and then Tuesday, uh, that'll be up Tuesday morning. So check all that great stuff out. And if you like it, you yeah, love it. If you kind of like it, whatever, leave a five star review, write something in the comments. We've been getting hilarious reviews from our listeners and we greatly appreciate them. You guys are the best. You're a bunch of quirky weirdos just like us. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Um, but now let's preview an awesome Monday night football game. The rare, we've gotten back to back. Uh, it is Chiefs Chargers. Jared Dubin, what's up, buddy? Hey, man. Um, I'm looking at my podcast app right now. You guys went for 106 minutes last night. How am I supposed to listen to that? Um, with your ears? You got two ears and a heart, don't you? You know that quote? Uh, you, know you know that quote? Yeah, I think I probably do. It's, uh, it's when, um, so I'm from 30 Rock. Somebody asked, uh, Jack Donaghy, played by Alec Baldwin, if he likes Phil Collins. He goes, I got two. Oh, years. right, right. Yeah. I'm like, trying to think what episodes that, that's in. I, God, I can't remember. Um, Is it all, the one where, like, uh, where Pete and Frank sort of band and they're like talking to him about, you know, it's never too late for now is the name of their yes, song. Yes, yes, yes. I think it is. I think it is. You know, it's weird because like all these NBC comedies, like the, I don't know, it was 30 Rock, uh, Mike Schur bit or was that before? Was it? All? No, it's Tina Fey. Oh yeah. Tina Fey wrote it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, but like they all like sort of kind of not blend together, but they're, I mean, they're all wonderful. Like I love, you know, I mean, I love all these shows, like the community, but you know, 30 rock, the office. And, I mean, but it's like, it, it With the exception of community, they're all like workplace yeah, comedies. Parts- yeah. Like even the good place is like technically a workplace comedy. They all work in the good place. Yeah. Um, but, and even community could technically be considered like, I mean, they're all at the school. Like yeah. there's, there's the reason they all have to be together, but, they all like, uh, they're all happy for the most part. Yeah. Would you go with Parks and Rec, Office, or 30 Rock if you had to, if you could only have one for the rest of time? I, uh, have been very vocal on this. P- Parks and Rec is the best sitcom of the 21st century. Okay. All right. Um, Devo's like, how? How did this happen? How the hell did you get from Chargers Chiefs to a debate about Parks and Rec versus 30 Rock after recording? We got, like 30 minutes of JLC. Look, Come- I'll turn this into pods and recreation right now. Like an actual podcast. It should be. No, I have wanted to make that a podcast myself for a long time. Should do that. Um, anyway, let's, uh, oh man, look at, we got a bunch of new reviews in. Love it. Thanks guys. Keep them coming. Um, that's, that's where I think it came from. Chiefs chargers. Awesome game. Huge game. Tremendous game. Enormous game. Lots of, uh, lots of, uh, implications here. Do you think that, um, we will see a pristine Mexican field, field in Mexico, I guess is a more accurate phrase, uh, a, a pristine field in Mexico after the debacle, uh, last year. And, um, are you excited to see, uh, the Chiefs and Chargers go head to head in Mexico? I mean, I feel like we better see a pristine field that like they've been talking up. They brought in like a field consultant that's worked with the league before and whatnot to make sure that the field's going to be okay. Like if the field is in bad condition, like you got to reconsider the, the reason that you're playing games there if that happens two years in a row. So I would hope it's in good condition or at least better condition than the field was in, uh, in LA last night for, for that game. Uh, that was ugly. 
and I, you saw guys slipping a bunch of times over the – not that the quality of the play would have been better if the field was in better condition, but, I mean, I, I would hope the field's in good condition. And I would say I'm vaguely excited for this game because I think that you never know which Chargers team is going to show up, right? Like, there's really no way to tell whether it's going to be the team that beat the Packers two weeks ago or the team that lost to the Raiders last week. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to which Chargers team shows up. Like, that's what makes them the Chargers. That is that is very true. Um, I think we should have. Yeah, I mean, I got suckered by the Chargers last week against you know, against the Raiders. I mean, they should have beaten the Raiders. They played a game in which they had multiple chances to beat the Raiders um, and just couldn't get it done. So, yeah, I mean, like I feel Russell, like that's happened by the way with multiple Raiders games this year. Every I think all of their wins have come by one score, or five out of their six wins have come by one score. They're Still with a negative forty-five point differential on their six and four. Like I know everybody's excited about John Gruden coaching them up, and I think he has done a good job. But they're they're such a fraudulent six and four. They really are, and they're gonna if they get if they get in the playoffs, that's like a prime spot. I think they're negative twenty-five now with their point differential. By the way, do you say twenty-five? Twenty-five. I thought I, I said forty-five. I think they're on a three-win streak. Negative twenty-five now. It's forty. Chiefs are plus forty-five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they have the same point of ritual as the Broncos. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, uh, look, the Chargers, this is the last stand. They're four and six. The Chiefs are six and four. You can talk somebody into the division being open, I guess, if you, if you make, if you make a run here. What? Yeah, I mean, look, if the Chargers win, like they're five and six, the Raiders are six and four, the Chiefs are six and five. All of a sudden that division is literally anybody's. Yep, and they and except for the Broncos, who somebody picked the Broncos to win the division before the season. I can't remember who. Um, not it's, it's not coming to me. <laughs> it's me. I'm a loser. <laughs> uh, the um, yeah, look, the Chargers have the Chiefs this week. Okay, I picked the Browns to win the NF- the AFC North. So that's that's not going well. Um, the uh, so the Chargers have the Chiefs this week and then the bye. Chiefs have the Chargers this week and then the bye. What is the most important injury that you're kind of watching for this game? Would it be Russell or Kung who is questionable? Or would it be uh, Mitchell Schwartz, who I believe is supposed to play? Yeah, I don't or think he was listed on the final injury report with the status, which means he's probably going to play. But he's Obviously banged up. He was limited in practice. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Week. Uh, Blake Bell, Emmanuel Agba, Alex Okafor listed as out. Kendall Fuller and Damian Williams still questionable. Damian Williams, not injury related, did not practice Friday or Saturday. So Darryl- he supposedly is, is now in Mexico City, though. He's okay. joined the team. Um, but I mean, to me, I think that the biggest injuries potentially is the the two defensive ends for the Chiefs, Emmanuel Agba, and um, you just said his name for some reason. I'm uh, Alex. On him. and Alex Okafor. Um, and then obviously, if uh, if Kendall Fuller doesn't play either, then all of a sudden you're talking about opening a lot of the avenues that teams need to be successful against the Chiefs would then be pretty wide open for the Chargers. Uh, the Chiefs' run defense is pretty bad. Anyway, and Agba has probably been either their best or second best run defender behind Chris Jones. Um, and, and with, with him and Okafor both out, all of a sudden you're losing any exterior pass rush. You're losing any push on, you know, outside zone type of runs. And then if Fuller's out, all of a sudden that opens up like Kyle Allen's going to be open all game working against Rashad Fenton in the slot. And, uh, those are the, exactly the kind of ways that you're going to have to beat the Chiefs. It's with, you know, strong runs that get five, six yards every time and ball control type short passes to slot guys and running backs. Um, so th- those three injuries, I think to me could sort of determine what the Chargers offense will do. And I don't think necessarily Mahomes is that susceptible to if one offensive lineman is out, it sort of destroys anything he wants to do. Um, and it sounds like Schwartz is going to play anyway. So to, to me, it's more the Chiefs defensive injuries than, uh, than either of the offensive linemen. Okay. Um, looking at these two teams, man, these teams are so weird. Uh, the, you know, last time we saw, you said, we saw the Chiefs lose to the Titans. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Chargers lost to the Raiders. Chargers have had longer to prepare. Um, what will uh, Patrick Mahomes do? Or <laughs> the Chiefs are possessing the football. They have Patrick Mahomes. Doesn't matter who's playing for him at wide receiver or running back. He's been pretty good either way, but he should have basically everyone healthy out there. Um, what uh, What do the Chargers do to kind of counteract it? I don't know that there's much a defense can affirmatively do to counteract Mahomes, right? Like, even if he's under pressure, he's still really good unless he has an injured ankle. Like, I mean, I guess if you can make it so that he gets his ankle banged up at some point again, that's been basically the only thing teams can do to stop him this season. In games where he didn't injure his ankle, he's basically been the same guy as he was last year. Essentially, like, he's been better, actually, at everything this season other than his touchdown rate which was obviously like insane last year like 8.6 percent that was never happening again but even like it's it's down to 6.2 percent this year that's still insanely good that's like one of the three or four best marks in the league like he's thrown one pick this year 0.3 percent of his passes have resulted in picks he's his completion percentage is up slightly his yards per attempt are up slightly and like he threw for 5,097 yards last year. He's got 2,626 in seven and a half games this season. That's a 5,500 yard pace. Like he's, he's been essentially better this year than he was last year with the exception of like they've run the ball into the end zone a bit more often than they did last year. So he's on pace for like 40 touchdowns instead of 50 in a full season. We give, uh, we give Sean a lot of crap for like the Mahomes thing. Like, you know, cause he was like, you know, he's right. He's right, by the way. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Like, I mean, like, Mahomes statistically is going to end up with a worse season than he had in in 2018. But I think people will look at Mahomes and say he's a better quarterback than he was last year. You know what I'm saying? Like, even though, I mean, like, like in terms of his volume stats are going to be lower. Mm -hmm. Well, he missed two and a half games, things like that. Yeah. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to be lower, but I mean, his yards per game is up. Like, I mean, he's, he's, you know, I'm just saying that I can, I can, I, there's a, there's a perfectly fine argument that Mahomes has gotten better and will not end up with the same stats and is not even in the top three of the MVP conversation because he missed time. Right. I mean, like, that's just sort of how it works. I mean, he's definitely in the top five, but I, I, I guess my point is that Mahomes is getting better control. He's 24 years old. He's getting more and better control of, the uh of the offense that Andy Reid runs and it's he's not unstoppable you can you can get pressure on him but he's pretty tough to deal with it, it I mean, you have to Joey Bosa and Ingram have to go nuts in this game I feel like yeah, I mean I would say also like Mahomes is doing this despite the fact that he himself has been banged up in three different games and clearly affected by whatever was going on with his ankle plus he was missing Tyree Kill for whatever it was, four or five weeks. Uh, he was missing Eric Fisher for three or four weeks or however long it was. Missing Andrew Wiley for about the same amount of time as Fisher. That's the entire left side of his offensive line. The running backs have been essentially a disaster the entire season. Uh, Sammy Watkins is still Sammy Watkins. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible what he's doing. And basically the only way to, to slow him down this year has been if his ankle gets dinged up. That's that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's much that a defense can itself do. Um, yeah, I haven't seen really anybody affirmatively stop him yet. And the Chargers have not been like incredible, you know, against stopping opposing. I mean, they 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 shut down the Packers. I get it. They allowed 11 points. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bears didn't do much. The Bears stink. You know, the Titans Titans beat them, but the, you know didn't. I mean. I don't like we haven't seen the last, I mean, the last time the Chargers played, they, they, they gave up points to Derek Carr and the Raiders. They played a hungover Packers team. Um, and then before that, it was Mitchell Trubisky, uh, Ryan Tannehill, uh, Duck Hodges, Joe Flacco. They lost to both those guys, by the way. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then before that, it was like Deshaun Watt. I mean, they just haven't played anybody. And, and I feel like this defense for Los Angeles could get absolutely carved up on Monday night. I mean, look, this is actually incredibly like the healthiest this defense has been all season because even though Derwin James and Adrian Phillips and Nasir Adderley 
are all still on IR. I mean, two of those guys have been on IR the entire season, and then Phillips went on early in the year. But at least, like, Melvin Ingram and Denzel Perryman and Justin Jones and Roderick Teamer are now all healthy, uh, and Melvin Ingram, too. So at least they've got, you know, most of their guys on defense for one of the first times this year. So it's if they're going to have success on defense, it's probably over this next stretch more so than it was you know, in the the start of the season, but obviously this is just an incredibly tough task. I mean, even if you look at it on the back end, the back end of the defense is playing better now than it was early on. Like Desmond King, I thought had a, a rough start to the season, but he's been better lately. Casey Hayward, same thing, and now he's gone from being like one of the five or six best corners in the league to just being like a very good number one corner. Um, you know, Michael Davis is, is playing a little bit better for them. Rayshon Jenkins, Jalen Watkins, like these guys are pretty good, but they're not Derwin James or Adrian Phillips or even what we expected Nasir Adderley to be. So th- there's there's opportunity to throw on these guys. And, I mean, you got to think, like, Terry Kill is essentially a big play waiting to happen. Travis Kelsey, I mean, him and Mahomes essentially have a mind meld. Um, McCall Hardman might have just scored a... 80-yard touchdown while I was reading this sentence. Like, you know, they they have weapons everywhere. Mahomes is capable of finding anyone anywhere at any time. It's it's just it's too tough to stop these guys. I think. All right, what about when the Chargers have the ball? Because I think that this is actually the you know the blueprint to beat the Chiefs is to grind it out in the run game. Like you don't want to get in a <clears throat> gosh, excuse me, you don't want to get in a shootout with the Chiefs, right? So what do the Chargers do? But actually, before we get to what the Chargers will do specifically, I want to ask you, David, is it possible that Philip Rivers is washed up? It's possible, but I would say also, I mean, as many injuries as they've had on defense, the Chargers have had just as many on offense. I mean, he's had like half his offensive line out for most of the season. Keenan Allen's been playing banged up in essentially every game. Same thing with Mike Williams. Uh, their number three and four receivers are both on IR, and Dontrell Inman and Travis Benjamin. Uh, Melvin Gordon was out for whatever it was the first six games of the year. Um, Justin Jackson has been out for, I, I think he was out for like two weeks or so. Um, yeah, I mean, they've been injured everywhere. Like Andre Patton, it, who I did not know who he was before the start of the season. He's been their number three receiver for the last like three or four weeks. Uh, oh, and Hunter Henry was out for a bunch of weeks too. I mean, the what they've been dealing with, uh, and, and granted, this is what makes them the Chargers also, but... I don't know if we could say like Philip Rivers is washed up because of what they've done this year. There's just been, I mean, I'm not sure how many quarterbacks could succeed being put in such a strong position to fail as Rivers has throughout the year. Yeah, I don't think he's washed up. I was really more looking for you to say, no, of course he's not washed up. But I didn't want to be the homer who points out that <laughs> guy who completed 55% of his passes for 207 yards, two touchdowns and three picks against the Raiders, um, you know, on a Thursday night primetime must win game was not washed up. I mean, I think the lingering image of him in that game is that the disastrous, uh, you know, final drive in which he's just chucking it downfield, mm-hmm. you know, into right. some kind of cover two shell and it's, you know, just, nothing's happening. I mean, it's entirely possible that he is washed up. I just don't think we can say that he definitely is given the way that team has looked just in terms of the injuries all season. I think people get too caught up in the fact that he has Keenan Allen, that Hunter Henry's back and playing well, Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler. Like, those are four really good skill position guys. Don't get me wrong. Um, but Keenan Allen has faded substantially. I think he's probably banged up. Hunter Henry was missing time. Melvin Gordon held out. Eckler, they've misused. And, and Mike Williams has been playing with a back injury the whole year, too. Yeah, I mean, like, all these guys are banged up. I mean, look, it's football. Every guys get banged up, but all these guys are banged up. And, um, and the, uh, you know, and like they're, they're playing with a, an offensive line that just isn't protecting for him. And it really does feel like they don't sometimes know how to operate, like, in terms of, like, they don't know how to operate, like, play to fill strengths. I know he throws down the field really well. But run like run run some short stuff, man. Like I mean, just like dink and dunk your way down the field. Like you, it's not that hard to do. You can pick offenses apart. He's incredibly accurate. Just run mesh over and over again, and with Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry, and just dink 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 dink, and then run some wheel routes with Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon. It's not that freaking hard, right? I mean, that's what they were doing at the start of the year, and it's not like it was working that well. I mean, it was basically good to start. There were losing games, but their offense was good. Right. Well, Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler were racking up a bunch of six, seven, eight yard catches. Um, but I don't know that the offense was that good necessarily, if that makes sense. 
Sure. Um, it was probably one of those offenses that had, you know, pretty decent numbers, but a low success rate. Um, cause if you're throwing behind the sticks on essentially every snap, it's, uh, it's not great. I mean, you look at the, the numbers through the first few weeks, like they only had 10 points against the Lions, 20 points against the Texans, 13 points against the Broncos, 17 against the Steelers, 20 against the Titans. I mean, they, they had 30 on the Dolphins. Good. They had 30 on the Colts, but that was in overtime, and the Dolphins at that time were still giving up 30 to everybody. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at this Chargers offense, they've only gotten to 30 points twice on the season, and it was exactly 30 both times. One was in overtime, and one was against the early season Dolphins. It's not really been a good offense for most of the year. Yeah, maybe 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 it's just a bad offense. Maybe they need to reboot. Um, let's get to the picks. God, no. Thanks, Dubin. Ruining my Monday. Oh, sorry. Uh, I mean, I, I want I want to go quickly into the running game though, because I, I do think that that's where they're going to have to have success. I don't know if they necessarily have a chance, but this seems like one of those games where actually force feeding the ball to Melvin Gordon is probably somewhere close to the right idea. I mean, I'm all about Austin Eckler has just been the more efficient back than Gordon basically for the entire time that they've been together. But if you look at the deep, the running backs that have had success against the Chiefs, it tends to be more of the bigger downhill runners than the scat back types. Like six backs have run for 99 or more yards against the Chiefs this season. And you look at those guys, it's Josh Jacobs, Mark Ingram, Carrion Johnson, Carlos Hyde, Derrick Henry, and Marlon Mack. That seems to play into the let's try to run Melvin Gordon downhill, one cut, get him, you know, moving north and south type of thing more so than, you know, let's try to hit the perimeter with Eckler and let's try to, you know, dink and dunk throwing. So that, that, that does seem to me to be the way to go in this one. Okay. Um, let's look at running back props. Melvin Gordon over under 70 and a half rushing yards. I mean, I know I just said that that's going to be the way to win, but I don't think they're going to win. So I'm going under. <laughs> <laughs> I actually see 73 and a half and it's juiced heavily to the over, which is kind of surprising. I mean, I do think that like, you know, I mean, you're right. Like if they want to win, Melvin Gordon has to run the ball effectively. The chiefs are terrible at stopping the run. And, and so, um, you know, but that's a lot of, that's a lot of rushing yards for a team with two, two running backs that will quickly go to Austin Eckler in the passing game. If they're losing, um, it's also like the chargers in a primetime game, things are going to get weird. They're going to like either, play incredibly well or play not well at all and have one of those games where like, oh, Phillip Rivers down by one score trying to come back at the end of the game as usual. Mm. Um, so. Uh, Damian Williams is 58 and a half rushing yards. Actually, I see 53 and a half here too. I'll just on my local. I don't know that I would personally mess with either da- unless you get credit for Daryl Williams if Damian Williams is missing <laughs> for some reason um because it's all D Williams on here um I, I would just I think that's probably a stay away especially if you're listening to podcast in the afternoon and you don't know about inactives um you know the player must play for it to be to work but like if Damian Williams is dealing with a personal thing and we don't know what it is and I hope everything's fine um you know there's a chance that Andy Reid has a really weird rotation for this game so I would be careful with that yeah, I would too. I mean, it does sound like he's going to play. Apparently he's in Mexico City. So I would think that if he's there, whatever personal issue it was is probably at least somewhat taken care of enough for him to play. But obviously we don't know that yet at this point. So I would say just, yeah, I, I wouldn't touch it either. Uh, I agree. Okay. Uh, Philip Rivers over under 273 and a half passing yards. Um, that's a good number. I don't have a strong feeling on it, but I guess since I'm saying they're going to lose, I might as well go under. Yeah, it looks like, and I see 270. I mean, look, these markets are all weird. They go all over the place. Um, I see 278. If you look at Phil's, uh, season totals, he's been over, he's been over 278, been over 280 in all but three games. Um, two of which were division games, worth noting. Uh, that law, the 20 to 13 loss to the, uh, to the Broncos, the 26-24 loss to the Raiders, and the um, loss the to the Bears, Bears game probably, right? So those are three. They beat the Bears. Yeah, they beat the Bears, 17-16, that's right. Uh, two good defenses and two um, and one terrible defense in the Raiders. 
Man, I don't know though. That's th- those are all recent though. That's a concern. Week five, week eight, and week ten. That's sort of a trend, right? I mean, he went over. Although the- he did throw for three hundred against the Steelers, so yeah, who knows? But they were like down in that game. It was sort of garbage. He couldn't run the ball. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd be careful. I think I'd be careful with that. I would probably lean under too. But you know, if you like, I, they'll want to try to run. But if they get down big, they're going to have to throw it. Mahomes um, over under three hundred eighteen passing yards. I don't know if I could talk myself into any sort of under on Mahomes except for interceptions. Yeah, because he's done. Again, one. He's got one pick this year, by the way. Yep, leads the NFL in interception percentage. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, I would. Uh, 378, 443, 374, 315, 321, 446 last week. Their running game just isn't very effective right now, and I don't think it'll be very effective against the Chargers. So I would probably lean to the over in this one as well, just because I think he'll probably have to pass. The um the prop I like with Mahomes, though, is uh, his over-under for passing touchdowns is two. So you push with two. It's juiced heavily. It's like minus 142 for the over. I would definitely take it. I, I love that over. Because if you get two passing touchdowns, you know, you're – you're basically playing with house money at that point, right? Like you, you're, you get two, you get, if he gets two in the, like in the first half or, or whatever, I mean, like you don't have to worry about, like you're not going to lose the bet. You're going to push worst case. So I would, I like that over a lot. He's hit uh, three, four, three, zero against Detroit, one against Indy, three. And then, I mean, he's had, he's had it all but two games that he's played the full game. So I, I like that over a ton. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Um, Tyreek Hill over under 96 and a half receiving yards. That's all. Yeah, that's a lot. How are you gonna take the, like how are you gonna fade Tyreek Hill? Yeah, I mean it's it's the same thing. I mean, one play and he basically gets there because they give him the manufactured touches, you know, in addition to the deep shots. So all he's gotta do is hit one of the three or four deep shots that they take to him throughout the game and he's probably gonna get it. So I kinda think you have to go over with him. Yeah, I remember he got hurt obviously in, in week one, so he didn't get it over then. Um, he came back in week six against the Texans and had uh, five catches on 10 targets for 80 yards. Didn't get it against Denver, but remember, Matt Moore was in there, and he did have a touchdown. Didn't get it against Green Bay. Again, Matt Moore. And then since uh, Mahomes came back, 140-157 uh, in the last two weeks for Tyreek Hill. So be, uh, fade, fade Tyreek Hill at your own peril. Keenan Allen, over under 68.5 receiving yards. Um, I would say if Kendall Fuller is playing, I'll go under, and if he's not, I'll go over. Ooh, that's a good tip. And it looks like it's down to, I see 69 and a half nice, uh, or it's up to 69 and a half. So maybe that says that Fuller's not going to play. That's something to keep an eye on if you're listening. Watch the inactives, and if Fuller's listed as out, dive on that over for Keenan Allen, because that gives a, uh, a substantially uh, better value there if he's, if he's not in the slot. Hunter Henry, 66 and a half. The Chiefs have surprisingly been really good against tight ends this year. Um, so I think I'm going to go under. Okay. Hunter Henry has not been a yardage monster. He does have four catches in every single game he's played in, though. Worth noting. If you want to bet on his reception total, which is five and a half, so don't do that. Um, take the under on that. Jeez, Louise. That's high. Uh, Travis Kelsey over under 70 and a half receiving yards. Yeah, I mean, if I'm taking overs with the Chiefs passing game, I feel like it's got to be Hill and Kelsey. So I guess I got to go over there too. Yeah, Kelsey's again not a guy you want to fade. He's been seven catches in the last two games, um, 62 and 75 yards respectively. So Mahomes getting him involved, obviously, uh, you know, high lots of. I mean, you could see him having a big game. All right, let's get to your pick. Um, the move, the line has moved a bunch in this game for relative to a neutral site situation uh what did uh what did you have as your final score i got 33 23 chiefs wow so chiefs cover easily chiefs minus five over under is 53 you love the over or no i guess you'd like the over a lot 56 and chiefs you think win by at least a touchdown so let me let me ask this why does picking the over by three points mean i love it like that seems like pretty close right yeah i mean well Sort of. I mean, it's like 8% of, right, roughly? Oh, know? yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, like, I mean, a 20%. If you had a 20% edge, that would be love, 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 right? And anything, I, I think, tend to think in the NFL with how slim the margins are, like, I mean, but if you think it's going to be 56 points, you think it's going to be a shootout. Um, or the I don't know necessarily a shootout. I just don't. 
I don't think that the Chargers are really going to stop the Chiefs, and I don't think the Chiefs are the type of team that's going to be like holding a team to six points or whatever. Okay. Does it make you nervous that in the uh, that Philip Rivers, when catching three a field goal, three and a half points or more, is twenty seven and twelve against the spread in his career? No. <laughs> okay. Philip Rivers, Rivers has no problem storming in through the back door. That's true. That's true. I feel like, again, I think Sean has uh, said this on Twitter a bunch. Like, every Chargers game should just be fast forward and fast forwarded until there's like four minutes left and they're down by like five points and Rivers has the ball. Yeah. I think I saw it was like, uh, Roto Pat, Pat Darty tweeted out. He's like, every, why is every Chargers game the exact same? And then Keenan Allen, like, quote tweeted, was like, seriously, bro. <laughs> he's, he's with him. Um, all right. I like the, uh, I think I like the Chiefs here. I don't know about five. That's a lot. So I don't know if I would lay the full five, but, uh, I do believe that the char- that the Chiefs will be able to put up plenty of points. Um, I might even look at if I was, if I was taking some of this game, what do you think about the Chiefs team total of 29 and a half? Well, I got him at 33. So I guess I love the over. <laughs> Chargers team total is 23 and a half. Heavily juiced the over. Um, I had him at 23, so I don't love the under, but I like it, I guess. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's, that's how it works. All right, Jared Dubin, awesome stuff as always. Uh, we will be back on Thursday to talk with you about the Colts and Texans game, and we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll bring on Jason Lockenfora. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, back on the program now. It's Monday morning. That means go to the quarterback. Jason Lockenflow. What's up, buddy? <laughs> I'm a fullback, dude. <laughs> I don't, we, I'm a fullback. Somebody once asked us, like, what the positions would be on our team if we had, like, what would You're the, the quarterback. What are you talking about? Yeah, I guess I am. Um, I don't know if I could let, like, there's no one tall, I mean, aside from Brady, when, who, you know, actual former NFL quarterback, there's yeah. no one, like, in our immediate guest circle who's, like, a good enough athlete that they would, Take the role of quarterback for me, given my role on the podcast. So I guess I yeah. will, I will reluctantly step into the void, fill, you know, fill the void. As, yeah, reluctantly. Yeah. <laughs> as the start back of the, uh, of the show. Anyway, um, so let's, let's, uh, I got a couple of things we want to get to sure. with you, um, including action from week 11, but also, uh, stuff that happened over the weekend, some what, maybe more fallout from the Brown stuff, CBA talk, Colin Kaepernick perhaps, but first, you wrote on, reported on the NFL today on CBS. People should watch you every Sunday, um, on there. And I believe right before Thanksgiving as well. But, uh, that yes, Fangio, the Broncos quarterback, is a potential one and done. I, you wrote this before his team held the, became the first team over the last five years to cough up a, uh, 20 to, 20 to nothing or more halftime lead and actually lose. And, um, you wrote about how a lack of people skills, which is sounds like something out of office space. It actually is something. He's like, like, what do you do? He's like, I'm a people person. Um, and uh, issues with offensive assistance are sort of bubbling up in Denver. Do you think this is a blow it all up again situation with the Broncos? I, I think it certainly could be. Um, the the situation I in that building is pretty grim. Um, Fangio has not cultivated relationships with players or coaches. That's not good when you're a head coach of a football team. Um, there's been problems on both sides of the ball, um, but I, I think probably a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball where 
from what multiple sources have told me, he can be incredibly overbearing over the headsets and yelling in real time and trying to audible calls left and right and seemingly nothing they call pleases the head coach. Um, you know, he had big issues with Emmanuel Sanders. I'm told Sanders basically got in an argument, left the building, went sort of went AWOL, pulled at Antonio Brown. Oh. And that's why he ended up being the one guy who was traded, even though they had two other unrestricted free agents on the defensive side of the ball teams wanted to trade for, you know, and Derek Wolf uh, and Chris Harris, whom, whom they didn't trade. But the, the, the Sanders one, you know, I think I always felt like he had to get him out of the building because it was going to continue to get worse. And I think Sanders was expressing some frustrations for teammates and coaches as well. Um, I'm just told that Sanjo is incredibly gruff. It's very difficult to engage in a conversation with him at all. And it's impossible to engage in one that doesn't involve football. Um, you know, little things like turning off the music um, at practices. Like he, he just hasn't done really much to ingratiate himself with people there. And then you couple that with the way the season has gone. And look, this is ultimately on Elway. I mean, Elway's been, you know, churning through coaches, Elway's been churning through quarterbacks, he's been churning through offensive linemen. Um, the personnel record there is poor, and it's poor for a while. It's been, I mean, I'll make this point. I've written about it in the past. Go look when, at the moment Brian Zanders stopped overseeing their drafts until the moment, you know, John Elway took over. It, and, 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 you know, the guys who got paid early on, like Chris Harris, he wasn't an Elway draft pick. You know what I mean? Like Von Miller, like a, lo- a lot of what carried them to the heights when, when the defense was basically giving Peyton Manning that last Super Bowl, those were guys who predated Elway. And, and he hasn't been able to manage the transition at the coaching level or uh, the roster level. But, but as long as that team is in the Pat Bowlen trust, and it will be for, for at least another year, that means there really is no owner to answer to. Joe Ellis, the team president, is the acting owner. Joe Ellis isn't firing John Elway. Um, but John Elway is going to have to decide if we've got a coach who has this demeanor, who we brought in as a guy we thought could help us um, pretend we're not rebuilding and win right now with a defense-first philosophy and just run the heck out of the football. Well, we're not running the ball the way we thought we would. And the defense has been you know, good at times, but certainly not transcendent. And now we're blowing 20-point leads. Where are we going? And if it's all about Drew Locke, is, is Fangio, his mentality and his temperament, really the right quarterback, I mean the right coach, to now be coaching a team that's going to have to shift all its focus to offense, getting pieces around Drew Locke because there's nothing there now, and incubating and cultivating this quarterback who, let's face it, is, is probably a project. And if Elway picked him, there's going to be people who, who, who immediately wonder, like, what is the upside? Because he hasn't been able to find a quarterback yet. The dynamics have changed exponentially. Plus, Derek Wolf and Chris Harris will be walking out of that door the, the day the season's over. So, and, and how are they going to replace them? Yeah, I think there are serious macro-level questions to ask about the Denver Broncos. Well, I mean, in, when you, you mentioned And that, it's just in-game decisions. I'm not even getting into, you know what I mean? Is, 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 he, you know, is he a defensive coordinator or is he a head coach? Right. And wh- if he's a defensive coordinator, why is he calling defensive plays from the sideline when – I mean, look, like I, I'm, not, I'm not a professional football coach, but I have to imagine that um, given how 90% of defensive coordinators operate from the, you know, up in the box, that it might, you know, I mean, it just behooves you to be able to see what the offense is lining up in from up, like, from the, from the all 22 angle. I don't know. I mean, it, that, maybe, maybe, maybe that's over, overthinking it. I, I will note too that like, um, in, uh, Arizona, we have a situation where Vance Joseph called a play against the 49ers late. On Sunday with the watching it with Coach Cower. I'm watching it in the studio with Coach Cower. We're watching all the 4:30 games. I'm on set with the guys, and as soon as they line up, he says he can't. He can't. This can't be. This can't be an all-out blitz. He's like, they, he can't be doing it. He can't be doing. It. Like he saw. He saw it coming before it happened, and then as it's happening, he's just like, no, no, no. And he dropped Chandler Jones into coverage. Turns out Chandler Jones not great at covering a, a running back. Jeff Wilson saunters in the end zone. And the 49 and, and, and I don't say this to like randomly veer out of the discussion of the Broncos, 
But Vance Joseph is the last guy that John Elway hired before he fired him and then hired Vic Fangio. So what does it mean? Like if John Elway can't identify coaching talent and he can't identify quarterback talent and he's really only gotten lucky with Peyton Manning as a free agent, I mean, what are but we – But again, doing? this is not a normal team. But you know, you this is a team that there's him. multiple lawsuits for heirs from the former – you know, from, from the patriarch. They've been put in this trust that's not sustainable – um, but at least buys them time. The league is trying to sort of prop up and get ready its internal, um, you know, candidate, the person from the Bowen family who they think is is best suited to do it, but that's taking some time. And, uh, you know, the lawsuits aren't going to stop. And at some point in, you know, 2021 or 2022, people I talk to who are at the ownership level of other teams and people in the league office – feel like that team probably will have to be sold. And, and honestly, with the support they get there and, and with the history there and with the stadium being nice and the facilities being nice, you know, $2.6 billion, $2.7 billion, I don't know. But that's, you know, I, I think that's where it's going. I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to hold off all these lawsuits and streamline it the way they want. But in the meantime – you're, there's kind of autonomy there. You're not answering to an owner in any traditional way, shape, or form. Mm, and, and, and if you're Joe Ellis, like, do you want to be the guy that fires John Elway? I mean, what is he going to do? Put in a whole new management team knowing that, hey, you know what I mean? In the spring of 2021, you know what I mean? This might all come down and it's over and the team has to be sold, you know, because there's all these heirs and they're not agreeing to, you know, they're contesting the will and, 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 you know, where Pat Boland, what state of mind was he in when he changed certain things? I mean, yeah, it, I, it's I'm with you. it's going to be very difficult. And and trust me, it, people are talking about that in that building at length. I mean, I wrote about Jeff Bezos wanting to buy an NFL team last week, which he then confirmed a couple of days later in the newspaper he owns, the Washington Post. And I was getting texts from people in that building like, man, like, do you think he – like? It's all we've been talking about is, like, who's going to buy the team and how quickly and, like, do you think he'd want the Broncos? And, I mean, that they're, the, you've got that level of, like, will my job still be here in two years? You know what I mean? Like, because is somebody going to buy this for $3 billion and bring in all their own people? So you've got that level of sort of fear in that building. And then you've got this head coach who's kind of come in, you know, super gruff and abrasive. And so the working, you know, that, that adds another level of tension to the work environment. And it's it's just not good in that building. And this is a team that, I mean, the last time they had three straight losing seasons was the first three years they moved from, you know, the AFL to the NFL. I mean, you got to go back to the merger, 71, 72, 70, or 70, 71, 72, to find the last time the Denver Broncos have been this bad. Wow. Yeah. And, it, I mean, ironically, like, it's John Elway running into the ground. So, it, I mean, I, I, I agree with you completely. I don't think that he will be removed as the G or the, the footballs are there because he's John freaking Elway and he won, you know, three Super Bowls, two as a player, one as a, as a front office guy. Um, what let's, let's say he fires Vic Fangio after this year. Uh, <laughs> where does he go? Could he bring in? Uh, yeah, that's the other thing. And you know, where, where do you go? And you know, is there some bright offensive mind out there who you think would be a fit? Is there somebody who runs an offense, either at the college level or the pro level, that you think will maximize what Drew Locke can do? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I, it, it's going to take a serious course correction to get this team off of um, the track they've, they've been heading down for the last several years. And he's going to have to decide whether, you know, a, a change of leadership um, – We'll, we'll put them in better stead for 2020. I mean, the problem is, again, you'll never get back the opportunity cost of, you know, okay, we wanted a two for Chris Harris. Just take a three and call it a day. You know what I mean? You're going to need picks, man. Like, you're going to be playing a quarterback. You don't have an offensive line, a tight end. You know what I mean? Or, or you have one wide receiver. Like, but that, he's going to need a lot. He's going to need – and you don't have the draft capital of these other teams, and you wasted an opportunity – in a in a buyer's market to do more, I mean in a seller's market to do more. So uh, it's going to take a lot to to get that roster better in the short term. Yeah, it really is. And uh, on the bright side, they're probably going to have a top five pick. So maybe they can, um, you know, maybe they can 
<laughs> I mean, it'd be interesting. I heard I heard a lot of buzz about how much he loved Justin Herbert. Oh yeah, he was. Before, always- you know what I mean? Before the kid decided, I mean, and I think I knew by last October. I think I reported he's staying in school. Um, but oh, I, I think I always saw him play live a couple times. Like I, and he'll be there. If they're picking at four. That he'll be there. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, would he be willing to do that and try to – and then, you know, and then trade, you know, Locke for a three or a four, you know, a la Rosen? I don't know. be interesting to see. Um, according to Tankathon.com, which I just wanted to mention because it's a great site name, um, and I don't know if it's 100% accurate with these tiebreakers, but uh, Cincinnati, obviously, first overall pick. Washington, number two overall pick. Uh, Giants, three. and. <laughs> Dolphins four. This is shaping up well for the Dolphins because they're, you know, they're not, they don't look like a holes for losing all their games and the team, most of the teams in front of them have quarterbacks. Jets five, Tampa six, Denver seven. So, you know, you might have this terrible season, fire your coach after one year and end up with a, you know, top 10 overall pick. It's going to be really, it's going to be very difficult to crack the top four because Cincy, Washington, the Giants and Miami, I mean, those teams are great at what they do and what they do is stink. Um, Marvin Lewis, yeah, you mentioned yeah. him. Is he going to get back in the mix as a head coach? He's, he's, like, he's more open to it than I, I, I might have thought, um, just having spent some time with him as recently as June. Um, I was in a, at an event uh, down in Atlanta that he was at, and he, he seemed very content to kind of get off that hamster wheel for a while. Um, but you talk to people around the league, you talk to you know teams, who are preparing to possibly do searches. You talk to agents, not just to represent, you know, the individual himself, but agents who represent coaches. You start comparing notes about, you know, who you think has a real shot, who doesn't, what, what characteristics do you think will really resonate um, and sort of be what these owners are looking for. Um, he has, there's a lot, he checks a lot of boxes. Um, and look, and and some of the decisions he made in those playoff games, I'm with you, wasn't the best. But we just, with a little bit of hindsight now, I mean, this guy was in was in Cincinnati for 15 years and came out of it with a winning record. Yeah, I mean, he went he went to the playoffs seven times with the Bengals, including five straight years. He won multiple division titles. You know, at a time when the Steelers had a Hall of Fame quarterback. And the Ravens had a guy who would, at the very least, be a Super Bowl MVP. And you still are in the same conference with, you know, the greatest dynasty of all time. I mean, this... I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he's easy to bag on for some people. But to do what he did with dealing with Mike Brown, the lack of infrastructure, half the scouting resources of other people, not a traditional front office... You know, some of the worst facilities in the league. I mean, they don't really even have a practice facility. You know what I mean? they got a field across the street from the stadium. I mean, you talk to Boomer Esiason about like, what it was like to be a Bengal in the 80s. I mean, I swear to God, I think they were playing like we were in East Baltimore. Like, I think they were playing on, you know, on gravel, practicing on gravel. I mean, it's rough. It's been a rough place for a long time. You look at you, you look at it. You know, the moment he's not there, I mean, they're 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 like it's like a third world country there right now. It's it, right. And he kept the thing together, and he won a lot of football games, and he beat some good teams, and you know, he he built a dominant defense. Um, so yeah, I think you start looking at like who else is out there, and and there's going to be some of these teams, you know, like the Giants, like Atlanta. Um, you know, like Dallas, if that opens up, like Washington, where, like, they can't take a chance on somebody. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to have to sell this guy has won in the league. And there's not that many of them out there right now. Yeah. So, and- yeah, I think – now, Marvin's also a guy who's not just going to take a job to take a job either. But, yeah, I, I think there's real potential. Um, <laughs> it, it, worth noting, too, during his run uh, with the Bengals – Leslie Frazier left to be the head coach of the Vikings. Hugh Jackson left to be the head coach of the Raiders. Vance Joseph left. Uh, Jay Gruden, Mike Zimmer. I mean, he lost a ton of yes. coordinators who put guys yes. in coaching jobs. Um, let me ask you this. You mentioned Atlanta. You said if Dallas might open up. You didn't say Atlanta well, might. Well, Dallas is going to open up. Like, I think Dallas will open up because really? I don't think Dallas is winning in January. Um, All right, so what, what, I think what, Dallas will open up. What is the – what needs to happen for Dallas not to? They've got to be – I think they've got to be a Final Four-type team. 
He thinks yeah. Jerry thinks he has a Super Bowl team. Jerry thinks Dak Prescott is is a top five quarterback who's having an MVP season. Jerry thinks he's not uh, wrong. They're as good. Their roster's as good as anybody. So that's got to bear out in the standings and in the postseason. I mean, he's not wrong if that's. I don't, I don't think it's a Super Bowl roster. I don't think it's close. That defense, I don't buy on a lot well, of levels. Great, but like you got a bunch of players, and like I mean, Dak's playing. Okay, Dak is playing. Dak is having a top five MVP season right now. I mean, like he he's one of the top five MVP candidates. He's playing really well. You got Zeke Elliott. You know, you've got you've got Michael Gallup. You got Amari Cooper, guys who make plays in, on, on on the offense. Yeah. Uh, Pollard looks like a stud. Like this is an a team offensively. They've invested a ton in their offensive line. They paid Demarcus Lawrence a boatload of money to stay there. Like, yeah, yeah. I still think the defense though is suspect. Yeah, and and I still don't buy that offense against really good defenses and really good defensive coordinators. And that's what the playoffs are about. But right. we'll see. All right. Um, what Atlanta? Is there any chance Dan Quinn saves his job? I think it'd be really, really tough. Um, there's always a chance. I mean, if they run the table, I think he would have given a, you know, would have, would have made a strong case. I'm not sure that that's feasible, but the the way they've won the last two weeks, um, they're making some statements. The problem is he's not calling the defense anymore. It's like he stepped away from the defense and now it's better. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, they're winning and, and they're winning on your side of the ball, but it, you know what I mean? It took you restructuring the operation over there again to make this happen the last two weeks. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I still think it's, it's um, a, a serious uphill climb. I, I do think, though, that now that they're unencumbered of expectations and they're just kind of letting it all hang out, that they're, they'll probably beat some more good teams down the stretch. And, you know, if Dan Quinn does go down, I think he may take his guy Ron Rivera with him. You know what I mean? And he came into the, I think I wrote a column in the spring about, you know, who's on the hottest of hot seats, and Jay Gruden was one. Um, but those guys were right up there, you know. And that was a really bad loss for the Panthers, and they play again in two weeks. And if anything like that happens again, I think that, that probably will tell you all you need to know. Ron Rivera sounded extremely disappointed in the word, but like resign. I mean, almost like, you know, when he, when he did his press conference, they're five and five, you know, there is a, I mean, look, their chances of making the postseason when you're three games behind the saints, you do play them twice. I understand that, but the saints won in Tampa, you lose at home in Atlanta. Um, you know, it's just worst possible result. And you're, you know, three games behind Seattle for that five seed and uh, what, four and a half behind Minnesota or two and a half behind Minnesota. I mean, like the odds of the Panthers making the playoffs drop precipitously. Well, and like, here's the biggest problem. The biggest problem is, and I get it. The former MVP quarterback wasn't, wasn't himself for this last year and isn't there now, but there is now another wide swath of games where you're not competitive. Yep. You know, the last four games, they've been outscored. 124 to 62. I mean, they're giving up 32 points a game for a four-game span. There's only 16 in the season. It's a quarter of the season. I mean, that's that's going to catch an owner's attention, especially when that's what happened in the second half of last year, going back to the Pittsburgh game. So, yeah. and I mean, watching that game, and especially watching it on like what's called the dirty feed, which is when when the game is in commercial but the cameras are still panning to, you know, and those that's being picked up on, you know, in the satellite truck, it's panning the different parts of the stadium, getting ready to line shots up for when they come out of the commercial break. That upper deck was far from full. I mean, there were certain sections where it looked like there are seven to 10 rows where there wasn't anybody, anything going on. And that was a playoff game. You know what I mean? Um, that was a, that was a big game for them. And it's against a rival and a, a logistically close rival. And, you know, that was, that was, you know, kind of, I won't say they were playing for their season, but a big, big game. Well, they're playing for and their it, season. It, it didn't seem to capture the imagination of the fan base. I know uh, my buddy Chris, who um, I won't reveal his full information lest he be ostracized by the Panthers fans, but I saw him tweet about this. Um, he's been to 75-plus Panthers games in his life. He said Sunday was the first time he ever left early. That does it. I mean, the diehard Panthers fan. Well, and the kicking down twenty six nothing, kicking field goals. I mean, that that you, you know, you said you use the word resign. You know, like sort of before. I mean, that 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 that's not a good sign either. Um, right. 
You know, and, and look, I think Kyle Allen's turned it over nine times in the last four games. I think it's like three touchdowns and, and nine turnovers. I mean, nine interceptions. I don't even, not even counting fumbles. Um, and you can tell he was trying to do too much in that game because of the magnitude of the game. And, and he's still just figuring things out. And that's a tough situation for anybody. And I, I do think there's quite a mold there. I, I think he's an intriguing quarterback prospect. But the problem is they, they need to win games right bleeping now. Yeah. And well, they don't have anybody. The schedule's to tough, man. Their December schedule's tough. Yep. They get the. They, uh, they've got what? They've got the. They've got the Colts. They've got the Seahawks, and I think they've got the the Saints in the. Now that week seventeen, New Orleans might have nothing to play for, but but still. Well, I got a text here. We, a bunch of buddies and I have the the Panthers over uh, seven and a half win total. Um, they're five and five. Obviously, they need to find three wins in their final six games. That doesn't look like it's going to be easy. They do have the Redskins at home in week thirteen, so that should be one. Um, you know, you got to steal one in Atlanta and then hope that the Saints lay down in week seventeen. Basically, is is, is what it's looking like. Or you know, go to the, the Colts will lose to anybody. The Colts don't. Care. I mean, they, what Seattle comes to them, right? I mean, that that like, I mean, they uh, could bow up. Russell, and... Russell always wins in in Charlotte. He always plays in Charlotte. Yeah. Always wins in Charlotte. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, the Panthers, there's a lot left to play out in their season, but I would not be surprised at all if that, if there's a change. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it happens. It, it, you know, they everything was all in on Cam and, and it happened. Uh, let's real quickly talk about, um, actually wait, I want to ask you about, Debo's going to murder me, but I do want to ask you about Trubisky. Mr. Trubisky looked, was listed as injured with a hip injury, or do you buy or sell that he was actually injured, or was he benched? I I don't know. I mean, I'll I'll just the the team's initial tweet was just to chase Daniels in the game. You know what I mean? It wasn't that Mitch Trubisky's in the tent. It wasn't that Mitch Trubisky hip is questionable to return. It was chase Daniels in the game. Mm. So I don't know that. You know what I mean? I'm just gonna go by what the team. That's what the team reported. And then you know after the guys on the broadcast are even saying it looked to them like a coach's decision you know then we get the tweet about the hip and then now you know Trubisky he and the coach aren't exactly saying the same thing I don't know you know what I mean you'd have to be on that sideline to absolutely know at this point because it immediately became a thing and then once it's a thing people have different interests to protect etc but I, I think you know my, my stance on Mitch Trubisky I've been skeptic number one. Even last year while people were propping him up, I'm like, well, did you really watch the game? You know what I mean? And did you see the four balls that should have been picked? And did you see, you know, that he didn't never had to play from behind again? And have you seen what it looks like when he has to? And, you know, you can only read one side of the field so long. And, you know, is the defense going to produce four takeaways every week? Because what happens when that stops? Yeah. I never bought it. I never bought it. You can find me on record last year saying they'd be better with Chase Daniel than him. Um, Daniel what, won the game in Thanksgiving and then lost the following week. Um, I think, what, did he won and won this year? It's a low bar to clear, but I think he clears it. Mm. Uh, all right. CBA talk. Nothing sexier on a Monday morning. There's some CBA talk. Uh, you have Trubisky to the CBA. Are you asleep yet, listeners? <laughs> This is well. This is the back end of the pot. Not that, not that you know. We don't. We had. To, this we had is to, the opposite of an emergency podcast. <laughs> That's right. Look, I found. I found, and I tweeted about it. I found your um your uh, article on the uh, the CBA fascinating, and I. It's think- well thought out. I mean, whether the players agree to it or not, I can see the logic in it on multiple levels. Well, explain to the listeners exactly what the NFL is sort of targeting here as it relates to changing the schedule. And um, and, and what they're gonna, what they're thinking about what they're trying to pass through in the new CBA. Well, yeah, I mean, basically, the league has more or less finalized a lot of what its you know CBA proposal will be. The players at this point aren't taking part in the process by and large because they're, they're doing their jobs and playing football. Um, but the, certainly, the, these ideas have been exchanged to D. Smith and and the lawyers and people at the top of the NFLPA, and they've been, you know, they've been talking and negotiating back and forth. I'll go all the way back to the combine. I mean, last year's combine, I reported they've already made substantial progress on this thing. They won't ever admit it, um, and they don't want to jinx it, and no one's going to comment on it, but trust me, Commissioner's powers are going to be truncated. He's already signing off on it, wink, wink. 
the drug policy pertaining to marijuana is going to change exponentially. You'll hear other people report about it six months later, but I'm telling you, that's already that's already on the table, and that's already part of the sort of give and take of this negotiation. And then, obviously, the last sort of always dangling participle is the gross revenues, and where are they going, and what percentage goes to the players, and how do we grow the pie for everyone? And what the league has come up with is this 17-game schedule that would basically still start right around when it does, right after Labor Day. And the Super Bowl would take place the last Sunday in February. Um, And every team would play one game at a neutral site with a heavy emphasis on international and not just traditional international, but also uh, Rio de Janeiro, I've heard has come up in, you know, with internally among the owners. Uh, they feel like the Brazilian fan base is one that their uh, marketing data says is, is, is pretty um, fervent about the NFL. We know that Germany has been a hub for the NFL, going back to how it supported NFL Europe. They'd like to play a game there or you know, multiple games over time. Um, I've heard Dublin uh, and, and uh, you know, also other parts of Canada beyond just Toronto where they've already played. And also non, non-NFL cities in the U.S. Like, you know, how about playing an NFL game uh, with Touchdown Jesus looking down from a bus? Whoa. What about playing a game in Tuscaloosa in December? Whoa. The yeah, it'd be pretty cool, right? And would probably make a lot of money. Every team would get two buys, one traditional buy and a buy after uh, their, their neutral site game. Um, the playoffs would not expand, but there would be an additional wild card game played on the normal wild card weekend in each conference. Uh, there would be two preseason games and then also very likely a third officiated scrimmage where NFL officials would be on site. And some owners believe this should be played at stadiums. You know, we've already seen these teams practicing against each other at their facilities and how everybody likes that. It's a controlled atmosphere. These scrimmages likely would be played at the stadium um, and free. And you've got part of your fan base that that can't afford or aren't able to get to traditional games. Young, you know, young kids who maybe you don't want to make this, you know, it's a six-hour deal to go to one of these games. You know, with you got to get there early to get on the parking lot and yada, yada, yada. Well, what about this? We we open it up to a segment of the population who who you know don't don't normally for whatever reason hmm. get to go. A little um, philanthropy. Little. Uh, roster sizes would increase, more jobs for the union. I'm told that it's already on the table that you'd be able to accrue your pension sooner than now. It would take fewer accrued seasons, fewer games to do so. Um, but we don't know what the players think of this. Um, one thing I think the players would ask for is universal health care for life for anybody who's ever played in the league. And, and you know what? I, I think that might be a go if they agree to a lot of this other stuff. Wow. Um, the league feels like the streaming rights to the, to the neutral site games alone could be spun off as its own TV package, which would not take away from the volume of the NBC package or the CBS. No, what is now, I should wow. say, what is now the, the Sunday night package, the Thursday night package, and the two Sunday day packages, AFC, NFC, you would not have to take anything away from those to spin this other one off. The neutral site package would be streaming in all likelihood. The, the league estimates it could be worth a billion dollars. And those games would still be shown over the air in the markets where the teams are participating. And then also, as part of the international series, the expectation is there would be what's called a London season ticket. You live in the UK, you'd like anybody in the US, you get an eight game package, right? Eight regular season games. At least two of them from the start would be Jags games, although that could grow to four over time. And then, but you would have, you, you would get, you know, the Jags would kind of be your home team, but most of the games would just be, you know, what they're getting now. But they would have a full eight game slate. And what would that be worth? And then what does that do to the international television rights? So there's a been, it's been thought out for years. It's, 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 they, they've, they've put a lot of effort into it. Um, and I, I think financially it's hard to argue that it would not grow the pie substantially and create more jobs for players and more money for players at what cost, player health and safety. What it's, you, know, you're, you are taking away two preseason games, but you're adding a regular season game. 
The season itself is only getting two weeks longer. And then what it also does is it now puts the Super Bowl, like, uh, at the end of February. They get the playoffs through all of February, which is sweeps. It's good for the broadcast networks. You can't lose broadcast and NFL playoff games. It would naturally push the combine back to March. A lot of people think the combine may eventually be at that beautiful Taj Mahal in Inglewood, that uh, mm-hmm. Stan Kroenke's building where NFL Films is going to be located inside there as well. And then, so what does that do? Well, it, it, it's going to push um, free agency back to April, right? Mm. In all likelihood. Move the league year back two weeks. Well, why not just move it back three weeks? It's in April. And then that would mean the draft's in May, right? And then OTAs in June and training camp starts probably August and not July, right? Because the season might start a little bit later. But basically, you, there you go. You've got training camps kicking off in July and then preseason in August. And then regular season in September, you have now cornered the 12-month media market. Well, it was fun having a vacation as an NFL reporter. And uh, I'd like to thank Roger Goodell for ruining my wife's birthday this year by having the draft on it and then ruining it for the foreseeable future by moving free agency into uh, April. And by the way, fellas, Valentine's Day, you just got banged. because <laughs> it's, it's happening It's the middle of the NFL playoffs. We're going to have like an NFL playoff game on Valentine's Day, and everyone's going to be irate about it. Now, look, all this is negotiable. There could be give and take on anything. But this is the league's proposal that they will start once the, once the season ends, now you've got all the, all the player reps who aren't in the playoffs are able to take part in negotiations. And things have been really smooth right now, but when things tend to get off the rails, it's when owners and players are in the room together. You know, yep. um, Jerry Richardson won't be a part of this anymore, thank goodness. But, you know, maybe the smooth sailing hits some bumps in January. But there are people at the NFLPA who can't speak for players, but as a, a, a financial package can understand that they're, you know, this could make sense. There's still going to be a fight over stadium credits and stadium funding and, and how that's handled. There's still issues to resolve, but there's been a whole lot that have been resolved. There's a ton of common ground already. And then, you know, as this is put to a vote in January, as more players can sit in on on the negotiating sessions and as things ramp up, I mean, who knows? It's not completely out of the question that there's an announcement, you know, around the Super Bowl. Mm. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Often Monday morning. Um, I look like. Uh, Do you see? Um, Al, was it Alan Robinson or was it Taylor Gabriel? Who was it who tried to crawl? Like uh, it was Anthony Miller. Do you see him like doing the army crawl to get that first down? That's how I feel this morning. Yeah, um, I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, all right, Jason Lacanfora. Great stuff, man. Always a pleasure to wake up Monday morning with you. You can follow him at Jason Lacanfora on Twitter. You can watch him on the NFL on CBS. Every Sunday, the NFL Today, excuse me, on CBS. And, of course, CBS Sports HQ. Uh, we'll talk next week, buddy. Look forward to it, my friend. Talk to you soon.